Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. My name is Dustin. And I'm Lakeisha. And welcome back to the Portland-based podcast about cold, refreshing, hopinated beverages and uh, and a movie. That sometimes we like, sometimes we love, Uh, sometimes we're like, meh. Sometimes we're indifferent. Yeah. We really haven't had one that we're just like super hate. No, probably because we don't do podcasts on them, <laughs> do you think? Well, yeah, we typically go to ones that we're probably going to like. Right. You know. Or that but... we know we're going to laugh at or mm-hmm. that one of us will like, for sure. Right. But I can't really think that we've done a podcast on a movie that like we both got done watching and we were like, we hated that movie. I don't know. The Mummy wasn't great. That's true. That was... But we didn't hate it. Yeah. <laughs> it still was really bad. Uh, anyway. I didn't say we didn't review bad movies. Yeah. Um, and besides, bad movies is not uh, a criteria for you know whether or not we like it or not. As I think we can all agree that the Meg mm-hmm. is not a good movie. Not even. But no, I liked remotely. it. So right. so there. <laughs> well, as we're recording on Oscars night. Uh, it's all subjective. That is true. So, uh, but uh, but maybe not this week, as we don't have to worry about whether we're gonna like or dislike this movie, as we're doing a podcast on a movie we really liked. I am just shocked that we have not done this movie as a podcast yet, mm-hmm. given how much we've talked about this movie. How many times we've seen it over and over again, and how much we talk about it every time we see it, and we yeah. learn something new about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this week we're going to talk about Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, it came out a couple years before we started the podcast. 2015. Yeah, it feels like we've done, I think we've just talked about it so much that's why it feels like we had to have done an episode on this. But I've looked through our episode list. I have two. Multiple times and it's not there, so. I have no idea how we haven't reviewed this Mm -hmm. movie yet. So. So it's a long time coming. It is a long time coming. And it'll be good. It'll be fun. And speaking of good, uh, we each have a good, we each have a beer. Yes. That we're having as we're going to do this podcast. Um, Better beer than than the last one I had, for sure. Well, that's good. (laughs) That's good. Um, But I think I went first last week. So it's your turn to go first. Okay. This week, I'm having another beer from Heretic Brewing. Uh, I talked about them not too long ago. Mm -hmm. They're out of California. Uh, the ones that have uh, their tap room is called the confessional. Yeah. You know, uh, and uh, you brought this home when you were just in, down in California. It is, it's a can of Make America Juicy Again. Yep. It is a New England style IPA, six and a half percent alcohol by volume. On the website, uh, it describes uh, how they made it. They said they spent so much money on the amount of hops they put into it. That's why the can. Is just a, so basic. It's, it's literally a silver can with a sticker. Right. <laughs> it, it is as basic, pretty basic as you can get. Um, and it's really good. It's probably one of the better beers I've had for the podcast in a in a bit. Mm-hmm. It smells great. It smells just like a good uh, IPA should. Oh, really? Yeah. And I and I'm starting to maybe get a little tired of hazy ipas mm. but the, and this being a new england style as they are new england styles are hazier anyway but it's 
not like, but, but there's some that are being made that when you drink them, you're like, this is getting weirdly close to tasting like orange juice. Right. What is going on? Right. right. And while this smells like fruity a bit and tropical, but it doesn't taste literally like it's maybe a mimosa <laughs> or something. Well, and it doesn't look like um, too hazy. No, it's not nearly IPA. as cloudy as a lot of the stuff being produced. I feel like a lot of the hazy IPAs are um, almost so thick they're chewy. Yes. You know, yeah. and this one's not. It seems to look pretty clear. I it haven't is. tasted it yet. I will in a moment, though. Yeah. But yeah, that's so, so that's mine. It's really good. I highly recommend. Is that why good. you've placed it as far across away from I, me as there's possible? There's only one can of it. <laughs> you don't want to share with me? Is <laughs> no, that you, what you're of course saying? You can, have, <laughs> you can have a... Uh, a small sip of it. Okay. Thanks, babe. Uh-huh. All right. I am drinking an IPA from Eel River Brewing Company. It is uh, over 20 years old, which I think is interesting. That's, you know, pretty old for a for an IPA. Um, they, they're in California, uh, and... I, they're pretty an, an interesting brewery. They are apparently America's first certified organic brewery. Oh, okay. Yeah. So um, it's pretty cool. Uh, they have interesting... They have, when you look at their uh, beer list, they have their organics. They have their specialty and seasonal. And then they have a page dedicated just to their Emerald Triangle. Okay. Which is both a... Pa- they have a pale ale, mm-hmm. an Emerald Triangle pale and an Emerald Triangle IPA, um, which would be fine, except I feel like a triangle has three sides, so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for what, what is their third one going to be. Are they going to have a third one, maybe? Oh, I see. I don't yeah. know. Uh, but what they say is that uh, for Emerald Triangle, life inside the triangle is a little different, and so are our beers. Our Emerald Triangle line is a collection of craft beer that showcases our brewers' innovative spirit and commitment to brewing excellent beer. Um, The Emerald Triangle IPA is a bold West Coast-style IPA, bursting with pine and citrus notes supported by a solid malt backbone. Um, And then it's got a variety of hops. Um, It's got Simcoe and uh, Chinook and Cascade hops in it, though, Mm -hmm. which are some of the ones that I know I really like. Okay. So it's pretty good. It's, um, it has what I can only describe as kind of a sharp taste to it. Okay. Um, I, like a lot of really hoppy IB, um, IPAs sometimes have a, a bitter aftertaste, you know, left over from like that hoppiness. This is definitely on the front end, that bite. Um, it's pretty strong. I like it though. I definitely, it's an acquired taste. I think the first, time i had one of these which was actually like a week or two ago um um it was good but i definitely was like oh this is a strong ipa uh (laughs) it's i mean and it's only got like 60 ibus but this week it definitely tastes milder so okay so i like it it's good eel river brewing company okay sounds good all right, and with that, uh, we have like beverages to quench our thirst. We're going to start talking a lot about the desert. Right. And uh, post-apocalyptic world of Mad Max Fury Road. Mm-hmm. And they did drive down to Fury Road and back. That's correct. Again. All right, if you haven't listened to us before, spoiler alert for uh, 
what, four-year-old movie? Right. Um, <laughs> it's been out a while. Yeah. Uh, well, we've each come up with our three favorite things about Mad Max Fury Road. We haven't shared them with each other until now. We'll go back and forth. Uh, we won't hold back on any plot details, so be wary of that if you care as we go forward. And, uh, yeah, so I guess I'll go first. Okay. Now, I bet uh-huh. that... This will be an interesting one because we've talked about this movie a lot over the years. Uh-huh. We both uh, enjoy it quite a bit. Yeah. So let's. I'm wondering how different our top three things will be. Well, I tried not to. I tried to come up with things um, that I knew that I'm very like passionate about, but mm-hmm. yet also not something that I think you would say hmm. at the same time. So this will be we'll interesting. See. So for my first thing, I'm just going to say I just love uh, just how uh, relentless it is. Yeah. It is, I mean, it doesn't take a breath hardly from start to finish. Um, The quietest moment of the whole thing is probably right at the beginning. You know, right after the opening credits, there's like a little voiceover, which I had Mm -hmm. actually forgotten about. I know, me too. Of Tom Hardy gives a voiceover, kind of giving a very vague explanation of what the world is like now. um, And what his life is like. But nothing, no real specific details. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the next thing you know, you see, and then the next thing you know, he eats a lizard. Right. Jumps in his car and he's being chased by uh you know the war boys who mm-hmm. are the the minions of the, the the movie villain and it goes from that to him trying to escape to uh you know the meeting furiosa and then the big convoy heads out and then there's nothing but cars and explosions for it feels like a half an hour straight before you get to the next thing and then there's another fight and then there's another car chase with explosions and motorcycles and it just on and on and on it rarely takes a breath it is just always something new and visually incredible just like in the moments away right and i I just and just from beginning to end, it is a freight train of action. <laughs> and it is all so cool. I mean, I, I've seen it so many times. And all the action stuff is still not boring. Right. It is so inventive and so clever. And the, the stunts and the action work that it does, it really... Other action movies that have come after it, or it still puts a lot of them to shame, mm-hmm. I feel. I mean, how no stunt people died during the making of this I know. is incredible. I mean, even like the the, the, the old ladies that you meet kind of that come in at the end. Uh, the you know, Vuvalani. The Vuvalani. They apparently did all their own stunts. I know. Live to tell so the tale. Cool. I mean, so yeah, just the completely relentless nature of this movie from when Max jumps in his car for the first time until the end is just, even if, no, I've, I can't even count the number of times I've probably watched it, you know, either in part or all the way through. It's still just thrilling. Yeah. It is definitely uh, adrenaline inducing every time you watch it, for uh-huh. sure. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I like it too, and it's long. I mean, this movie is over two hours long. Mm-hmm. It's the longest Mad Max movie um, and yeah, it just, it's so fast paced and it doesn't quit. There aren't very many moments in there to breathe. Mm. Um, 
And and that's pretty impressive. Yes. So yeah. especially if you think about the fact that this movie was shot in sequence. Yeah. And most of the time that doesn't happen. Never happens almost. Yeah. So um all right. Well, uh I'm gonna start kind of with the easiest one or the mm-hmm. not the easiest one, but the one um that I just am constantly struck by. Um, and that is just the practical effects done with these stunts. Yeah. You know, you had mentioned the Vuvalani do their own stunts. And these are these older women who are just badass. I mean, they do all their own fighting. There's several. They're riding around on big old motorcycles. Um, um, you get the impression that they absolutely prey on, uh, you know, travelers who are, yeah, you know, not paying attention <laughs> um and they you know they're they're no nonsense but then you know they're they're also the care they have the keeper of the seeds who's trying to be able to replant right the world mm-hmm. you know so it's a very impressive kind of juxtaposition you have the polecat assassins at the end i mean these guys are literally on um giant sticks that are 20 feet in the air right um waving b- back and forth over the desert right, right. at high speeds mm-hmm. i mean it's just incredible um but just the fact that you know most of the stunts were practical and not cgi mm-hmm. they really limited it to um the cgi to removing like wires and, and- Charlie's um, Theron's arm. Right. And so uh, that's, I mean, those are, that that's impressive. I think that CGI has kind of become the go-to yeah. for films uh, to be able to figure out, like, you know, we could do this stunt, but that's probably an awful lot in insurance, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I just thought that was really cool. Um, especially when you look at all of the scenes where you've got war boys leaping off of vehicles. Into um, another vehicle. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. You know, and people crawling over, the crawling over like the tanker and under the tanker and on the trucks mm-hmm. while they're moving at 60 miles an hour. I mean, I'm sure they're probably not actually moving at 60 miles an hour all the time. Right. But I, I mean. But they're not moving at five miles an hour. Right. I was going to say, I, mean, I really feel like. fast enough that it's dangerous yeah 35 miles an hour is probably still faster than i want to be crawling around on the outside of a car Mm. so um so that's just something i i like i like the stunts i like the um equipment i like the fact that the guitar player um it was actually a practical both guitar and flamethrower. Right. Which, which <laughs> initially it wasn't until the director George Miller found out. And he's like, no, I want it to work. Right. It needs to do both. I want it to be able to do both things. Which is kind of just an awesome moment there where yeah. you're like, I, can you imagine being the, um, like the props guy and you're coming out and he's like, no, of course I want a guitar flamethrower. Yeah. Like, did you think I was joking? And the prop guy's probably like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because apparently, like, the, it just, they just made it a flamethrower that looked like it was a guitar. But right. it didn't actually plug in and play. And he insisted, no, it needs to do both. And it did. Apparently, it sounded horrible. Right. You know. But, but I mean, <clears throat> it was a real guitar. Yeah. That was also a flamethrower. 
I want to say when we saw this originally in the theater, it was when that guy showed up. I just remember like there was a couple sitting next to us, and at one point, uh, the the uh, the the girlfriend or the girl sitting next to me, as it turned out, just kind of under her breath, but loud enough that I could hear her. She just goes, "What am I watching?" <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it was with the, when the the base the flame throwing bass player right appears. Well, he's like a crazy blind guitarist yeah you know weird mask or mutated face or something it's of his mother he's wearing a mask of his mother according to uh jesus the the comic lore oh really isn't that super gross yes so yeah okay your number two my number two is gonna be uh specifically the vehicles oh yeah the vehicles are uh, the, it's just the insane, crazy, post-apocalyptic vehicles. Uh, but like you were just talking about it, especially the vehicle that was there just to carry the drummers. The I war know. drummers and the weird flamethrowing bass player. And the guitarist. And, and yeah, right. and all the speakers, because they had them, everything all hooked up to speakers. I don't think that carried any weaponry or anything. It just drove along in the caravan mm-hmm. for like the war drumming, I guess. For the musical, you know... Effect yeah. had to really be there to like pump and, everybody up. I mean, and just and you know, you know, set that one aside. You really look. There's it wasn't just crazy vehicles for crazy sake, mm-hmm. which is why I think that make this like a step ahead of other science fiction things. Is there was a practicality to some of it. You know, like uh, you mentioned when we watched it this time, there was these cars. The first kind of other kind of tribe of people that attack the the caravan and the, the war buzzards. rig. Yeah, they have the big spikies, the spiky mm-hmm. cars. And it's like, well, you were like, and you mentioned, well, that's, um, that's design is clearly because they've fought against the the war boys who have their kind of exploding um, lances, mm-hmm. you know, so that's what kind of like a defense against that clearly. So there's right. like, you just like all this weird rep- weaponry is clearly designed over a society that fights on the move. Right. Right. Obviously, a lot of fighting Whilst driving happens in this world. Happens during a high-speed chase. Yes, a lot of high-speed chase fighting happens in this world. Uh, I really... I, mean, I like yeah, a... A lot of it. Uh, was it the bullet farmer? Yes. And his, like, tank slash... Yes, the, the, the Dotson tank, as yeah. I call it. Because it looks like a little crappy, like, 1971 model Dotson frame on top of, like, a tank tread. So I read something about that while I was doing some research. And, of course, I lost it. Couldn't find mm-hmm. it again. But apparently that was, like, the worst vehicle to make. Oh, right. Of all of them, that was the <laughs> hardest one to put together. The sp- you know, almost not necessarily the smallest, but one of the smallest ones. I mean, like, the war rig is enormous. Oh, I know. The big, uh, the big like, kind of monster truck thing that Morton Joe rolls drive, around. It rolls yeah. around. And they drove it up over the rocks when they blew the... the, the the rocks down over the pass. Um, you know, this very mentioned the big spiky um, cars, you know, the motorcycles, mm-hmm. everything. The designs are just so different than what you're seeing. But yet there was some, it felt like there was some sort of real world practicality right. to it all. Or at least you could excuse in a, you know, in a movie sense, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, just the wild vehicles. And every time I watch the movie, it's still just. Super, you know, and the, and everything's just got tanks of nitrous right. you know, slammed in the back. 
you know. That's the other thing. The sheer amount of gasoline that these guys use. Oh, yeah. That is that is one thing that didn't seem terribly practical. That's incredible. As I mentioned, that there's fire coming out of every vehicle. <laughs> and there's some for some of it, it was clearly just because it looked cool. And it's like, in this world in which I'm sure gasoline is, you know, a lot... Not At found everywhere, right? Um, you know that seems like a bit of a bit wasteful. Well, yeah, yeah, I could see that. But it looks awesome. So it does look awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. so that's my second thing: just the what the vehicles. All right. Um, my number two, my second thing, is uh, the lack of dialogue. Yeah. In this movie, um, the action tells the story the facial expressions tell the story the um the setting the desert you know the harsh colors all tell a story mm-hmm. um and and they don't rely a ton on the dialogue so and i think that's pretty interesting mm-hmm. um because it also makes sense like in a post apocalyptic world you know everything is stripped down to survival yeah. Right. What does it take to survive? And what that means is, is like there's not a lot there for extra exposition. People aren't having long and deep and meaningful conversations because uh-huh. they're trying to survive. Right. Um. And <coughs> Walking Dead. <laughs> Perhaps. Uh, anyway. Um. But I just think that what so much of what makes this movie great is what's not said. Yeah, I agree. You know, um, there's there's not ex- extensive exposition about where people are. I mm-hmm. think the longest consecutive talking by any single person is the opening monologue mm-hmm. by Tom Hardy in Mad Max, which is crazy considering he only has 52 lines Right. Total in the movie. Counting that voiceover. Counting, Where, where yeah. you don't even see him personally. Right. But. Um, but outside of that, like, there's so much rich uh, visuals in this movie that start that tell you part of a story, but mm-hmm. you just don't know. Like, you never really know who the little girl is that's haunting Max. Doesn't like, she call him daddy at one point? No. She I swear always she, does. she always calls Is him Max. Max. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so you have this situation where you have a little girl, you know, who's in there and you can't tell, like she's clearly haunting him. Um obviously she died. Mm-hmm. But that's all you know, right? Um, and so but it the effect that it has on Max throughout the movie is um it, it's there at every moment. Like you can see it all the time. It's very deep and profound. Um, there's other things like you've got Immortan Joe, the bullet farmer and the people eater. How did these guys rise to power? Are they brothers? Are they, were they former soldiers? How mm-hmm. did these cities rind in tandem and codependence? It's clear that there are regular runs Right. Between the three they, cities. Right. They trade with each other, clearly. Yeah. Right. And, I mean, and it's beyond even trading with each other because they all come out when he's like, hey, come help me. Right. My, you know, like, to go get my, reclaim my wives. Right. Right. So it's a super interesting piece there. Like, you see this weird interrelationship. No idea how it formed or why or what their connection is. Right. Um. 
then there's uh like when Mad Max there's a there's a scene that I think is probably my both the creepiest scene and one of the coolest scenes and that's when it's at night they're um cooling off the engines mm-hmm. to the war rig um and he's leaving he goes back to like take care he's going to uh take care of the bullet farmer and like gather supplies or whatever right um and he starts to walk away and again in very minimal language they say well what happens if you don't come back mm-hmm. and he just turns around and he looks at him with like the most perplexed look on his face and he's like well you keep going right you know <laughs> like that's that's the world they live in what if you don't come back well you keep going um but then he walks away you see an explosion your gunfire yeah here's some gunfire and then he just comes walking back with a bunch of supplies, a steering wheel, a boot, yeah, and blood. Covered in blood. That is not his blood. Right. You know? And you're like, wait, what just happened? And it's the fact that, you know, you don't need to know. You just need to know mm-hmm. Max is a badass. <laughs> and he gets the things he needs. Um, and then the movie just keeps going. Yeah. Yeah, what I really also, what I, one of the things I almost picked was kind of what you're talking about. Like in a lesser movie, they would insist on there being a character act as an avatar for the audience to right. explain things to you. Correct. Some person who's not from there who needs to ask questions so someone can explain to him this is why this right. is. And there isn't that right. in this movie at all. So everybody's from this world. Everybody knows how it works. So there's nobody to explain or give any Right. Horrible, weird exposition to you as to why the war boys all paint themselves white and spray their face with that silver thing to go thing to Valhalla and say, witness me, right. you know, whatever. It just happens. And it and you just got to watch it and try to figure it out on your own. Right. And ultimately, those kind of side details don't matter to the plot of the story. You just know that they're fanatical followers of this guy. And this guy makes bullets, and this guy produces gas. Right. You know, and this is kind of how this economy works. And it's just, but you got to kind of work it all out on your own. And then you have these little rogue tribes of the buzzards right. with mm-hmm. the spiky cars. And then I couldn't find the name of the um, motorcycle right. gang. Uh, you know, and they all have their own staked out their own little, little random territories. territories. Right. Um, and and so I mean, but that's. That's really cool. I mean, typically what you would have also is a flashback. Like, so where are you from? What's your story? And then right. they show a flashback, you know, uh-huh. to be able to explain it. And not only does that not happen, but nobody asks. You know, the closest Max and Furiosa come to sharing anything about their backstory is when Max asks her if she's done this drive before. Right. And she talks about having done it a thousand times. And you get the impression... Um, you know, especially since we've watched this movie so many times mm-hmm. that she, when she says she's done it, you know, a thousand times, you realize she's talking about, she's just done it in her mind. Right. In her dreams. Mm-hmm. She's done this over and right. over again, but this is the first time she gets to do it for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, it's just the, the amount of story that gets told through lack of dialogue. Yeah. You know, that I just think is is great about Mm. this movie. I mean, I think every character has such limited dialogue. I think if you were to go back, you would see Furiosa having the most lines of the movie. Oh, I'm sure. 
Um, but even then, she, she's a minimalist too mm-hmm. in her language, you know. And there's um, like lots of times where there's disjointed dialogue that's just layered on top of each other where three, you know, there's the wives are all talking and they all have little fragmented sentences mm-hmm. and they're talking over each other. And so for the audience, you just kind of have to let it wash over you and like pick out important pieces um, to get the gist of the story or where they're going and how it's said. Mm-hmm. Um, and every time I watch it, I feel like I hear something different that I'm yeah. like, hey, I never heard that before. Um, even though, you know, the lines are the same. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but anyway, so I just, it's something every time I watch this movie strikes me. Um, and it is, I guess, the quality of a good story that a good movie doesn't always have to be about the dialogue. No, it's true. No, it's a uh, it's, story can be conveyed by things other than, you know, your the lines. Right. Right. And it does make me wonder, like, what would happen if you looked at some of these other movies that were out there and you're like, all right, we're just going to go through your script and we're just going to start slashing Every, every time where you have to, like, explain yourself, we're just going to cut it all out. Yeah. And I wonder if those would be better movies. Probably. I mean, um, although making it, making this movie apparently, like, be, maybe because it was so minimalist, I've seen where both Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron were, like, essentially, especially Charlize Theron went to George Miller at certain points in the movie to ask him, you know, what am I, what are we doing? Right. What are, what's, what is the story we're telling? I don't know what I'm doing. And then once they saw like the finished product, they're like, wow. That's, <laughs> okay. That's really but good. I, yeah. But I think they probably, they, I could see them getting so caught up in the minutia of, you know, doing today's 20 stunts that they probably had to do every day. Oh my goodness. That yeah. the whole the story would probably get lost to them because there's so many other things they have to worry about. And well, they're in the desert in Jordan forever. Right. You know. So. And then you figure how often are they again you know, I I mean I know it's such a, a trite thing when you're watching um a movie or something with an actor where they're portraying an actor and they're always like what's my motivation? Right. You know, like to have such minimal dialogue right it's got to be hard to be Mm -hmm. able to come up with well what's my what's my motivation why am i right why am i doing this wait why you know for the wives why do they want to escape immortan joe so bad they are clearly pretty pampered right um also clearly pretty sexually assaulted oh yeah oh my gosh (laughs) i'm not excusing it at all like oh they're uh but, their situation is is just yeah. shudder inducing. Yeah. Um, but like they don't they don't describe that. So when if I could imagine if you're trying to give off a very pers- you know particular emotion or perspective, mm-hmm. you got to be frustrated if there's no like so, you know you get two lines all day. That's it, two lines. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. In this all the filming we're gonna do. And you're like, why? And they're like, right. because. Yeah. Okay. Well, while you're, while you're trying my my beer, I'm gonna tell my uh, my favorite my favorite uh, story about actor motivation. So Alfred Hitchcock is making North by Northwest or Vertigo, one of the two, and one of his actors is coming out of a building, and he's supposed to look over his shoulder back up at the building, 
And the actor was having a problem with that because he couldn't understand why would I do that? Why I would just walk out and go get in my car. And he kept bugging Hitch, you know, why would I do that? What's my motivation? To which Hitchcock, Hitchcock famously replies, because I'm paying you to. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what he sounded like, babe? Yes. Okay. Just like that. All right. I like it. All right. So my last thing is just uh, the chemistry uh, between Tom Hardy and Charlize Theron. Yeah. Which is pretty, which is great on screen, which is pretty amazing because apparently Tom Hardy was a real pain in the ass to work with. Yeah. He uh, even apologized to George Miller before the, the, the movie premiered at the Cannes Film Festival. Oh, I thought it was after he did, like after he saw it. And he was like, what? Well, yeah, after he saw it, before. Yeah. At, I mean, at the premiere. Um, and he and, Char- and Charlize didn't get along at all. Um, but to see, how, but knowing that and watching the movie every time and seeing um, how, how, when they interact, I mean, they, of course they have the fun fight scene when they first mm-hmm. meet. Which is an amazing fight scene. Yeah. But then once they're all on the rig together and they, and they have like a common foe to fight back, there's mm-hmm. this, like you've mentioned, like the, 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 non, the, acting without talking there's looks that they would give each other we're like they okay they clearly they're both they're both hardened by this desert by this world you know they know what it's going to take to survive and just Mm -hmm. kind of giving each other the occasional looks you know about knowing what needs to be done to get to where they need to go um and really just all kind of leads up towards the end where my favorite my one favorite moment Mm -hmm. um as yeah, you know, a Furiosa is wanting to uh, but break out the wives and take them to where she grew up. This place is called the Green Place, where apparently they used to actually have, you know, live trees, live trees place. and green things growing in the ground. She gets there and meets um, her people again, only to find out that that doesn't exist anymore. The Green Place is no more uh, swallowed by the poisons of the world in the desert or whatever, and. So they're just going to load up on their motorcycles and they're just going to drive out across this salt flat. Mm-hmm. You know, we have enough gas to go how many ever days, see what's out there, you know, because, you know, Morton Joe and those people are still coming this direction. So, right. and gives Max a bike and you can come with us if you want. He's like, nah, I'm going to go my own way. And then the next day, all the Furiosa and all the other women are heading out and max track catches up with them you know stops them and just the little and again probably maybe this is the bit most words he says during the movie he gives his little speech it's like this is my idea you know this is you know they emptied the citadel to come chase us down there's nothing back there right we turn around we take that war rig and we charge through them and we go take the citadel where there's food and water and whatever and um and she, but the, just the look on her face as he's explaining his plan, and she just knows what that's going to require. Mm-hmm. That's going to require lives. There's no way they all survive. You just see, like, she just looks, all of a sudden, she just looks tired, you know? Yeah. But then when he says, there's nothing out there, the direction are going, there's nothing out there but more salt. Mm-hmm. You know, and they had talked about, you know, they had like a brief conversation before about want, what they want, you know, what are you looking for, you know, and he's, you know, and she was like talking about looking for redemption mm-hmm. because she's been a minion of this warlord, you know, and right. who knows what she's done in his name before this. And uh, at least that's what I take from it, mm-hmm. you know. And then he says, but if we do this, we turn this around, 
and maybe you and I, we can find, you know, some sort of redemption. And she doesn't right. say anything, and they just, you know, kind of clasp hands. And it's a really wonderful moment. And it reminds me every time that, <laughs> I'm going to take a quick, hard right turn, uh, reminds me every time that it's because of this movie that I even know what a men's right activist group is. <laughs> when this movie came out, it apparently pissed off a bunch of man children. I know. And when I first heard of the term men's rights group or men's right activist, I thought it was a joke. I thought for sure that was something the Onion had come up with. Right. Like it was some sort of satirical nonsense. And then I realized, no, it's really thing. It's real actual alleged grown-ups being mad that Charlize Theron's character has such a big role in this movie. Because, I mean, essentially, they're co-leads. They right. really are. Even though Mad Max is in the, is in the title, she's, they are co-leads in this movie. And just that, just how angry it got some jerks. <laughs> I just, it blows my mind. <sighs> anyway, so, but, the, but it always reminds me uh, of that. I, first of all, it makes me a little angry that I know that those groups like that exist. But it also makes me happy that that movie is so good and it must just piss off assholes like that. And that it's <laughs> on cable all the time and it's considered uh, like a modern action classic. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, just their their chemistry together uh, is wonderful. Wonderfully in a, like a different type of chemistry than most men and women when they're partnered together in right. a movie ever get to have and so um because by the end there's a real there's a real caring you know where she gets hurt and he's trying to like you know keep her alive until they get to where they need mm-hmm. to go and then uh yeah so yeah that's what my last favorite thing is yeah i also thought the interaction and like rapport that you see develop between furiosa and max is pretty awesome, mm-hmm. you know? And when you think about just, I mean, A, their first interaction is in them fighting, right. right? And again, they're not fighting over a moral, you know, any moral issues or anything. No. They're simply fighting because he wants water and to get away, you know, mm-hmm. and he's holding a gun at them and threatening them, and they've got resources and they don't want it to... right. You know, they're, they're not going to give them away. Um, but yeah, so I, I think their interaction and that tension is awesome. It's so disappointing to hear that they didn't like each other mm-hmm. because they played so well off of each other. And the respect that they are able to build throughout the movie as like warrior to warrior mm-hmm. is pretty cool. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and my number three is close to that. Uh, my number three is just Furiosa. Yeah. Cause I mean, man, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. You know, if you think about it, how does Furiosa r- rise from a kidnapped little girl to an imperator? Right. You know, a feared imperator, mm-hmm. um, in a society where, the women are used as breeders or as m- literally milk cows. Right. You know, 
Those are it. That's the only two roles you really see women having. At that at that location. Right. Anyway, that's right. what I was going to say. In, in, in Morton the, Joe's society. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right? And yet somehow she has risen the ranks to become a feared warrior. Right. Um, a, a super incredibly competent fighter. Um, like, how did that happen? And, of course, this movie is not going to tell you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but that's in it. That's awesome i mean if you just think about like how might that have happened um but then you i mean and you see the cost you see that in this movie Charlize theron does a great job of just through her facial expression like she's so tired mm-hmm. you know you can just see the weariness of being of having to be tough and having to be um always on her guard Mm-hmm. All the time. And all she wants to do is go back to the green place, you know, where she remember the last time she probably remembers being happy. Right. Um, and then, you know, she's, she's clearly a very high rank. She, the, all the war boys, war boys are scared of her. They just follow her orders. Even when she just turns off the road, like they ask questions. Yeah, like boss, they call her boss. Right. Like and, yeah. and when she's like, we're going this way, they're just like, okay. Yeah, I they mean, don't they don't they don't argue with her. Like, like the one guy has like a weird look on his face. Yeah, doesn't make sense, but okay. Yeah, you're in charge. You yeah. clearly know what you're doing, and right. I am in no position to question you. Right. Um, she's somehow also been out driving enough and is feared enough that she's made a deal with some with a feral band of warriors. So somehow right. she was able to earn their respect at least if not trust Mm. enough to build a deal with them um she's fighting or driving almost the entire movie right um and then you know she's like her first thing is she holds off max and nux almost independently you know Mm -hmm. like you've got the wives over there and they dive in they're like not for sheltered women they're more than willing to like jump in and like they're constantly pulling on the chain and trying to get them off balance. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, she has like, I don't know, 20 guns in like her cabin and lot in secret locations. At one point in time, Max is driving the war rig and she's climbing underneath of it, fixing it on, you know, Mm -hmm. like mobile repairs. Like she's, she's a badass. Like she's incredible in this. Mm -hmm. Um, and then she's still like, she, she suffers like a major, like knife wound to the side, still manages to like kick ass, yeah. <laughs> you know, like mm-hmm. she has multiple bite scenes after that. And I just think like that character and, and you mentioned the, um, the little rage children who were upset for men's rights activists because right. apparently having a kick-ass female in a Mad Max movie is, I don't know, upsetting? Yeah, I, I can't understand it. I don't really know where they're going. Yeah. Um, but I love it. I mean, mm. I just think probably one of the scenes I like the most is the moment where it's it's right before Max goes off to, like, you know, kill the bullet farmer. But he's driving and they can see the their head, his headlamp on his uh, tank car. Right. And so Max has taken two shots, and there's only three shots in the bullet, in the gun. Mm. And so he's going to take the third shot, 
and Charlize Theron's character, Furiosa, comes running over and she's standing behind him and she's not saying anything, but she's clearly hovering. But he recognizes... Yeah, because they've established she, earlier yeah. that she's good with that weapon. Right. Yeah. And so he just gives her, he gives her the gun. Uh. Like he turns it over. He It's not like they have to fight over it or anything. He recognizes she's the better shot. But he doesn't just stand up and hand it to her and walk off. He just turns it, hands it to her and stays there so that he right. can use her, his shoulder as, you know, to, yeah. as a rest for the rifle. Right. Yeah. Like he's willing to turn over command. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing, that, one of the things that I like about her and about just the movie in general is that they switch roles in terms of who's in charge silently, mm-hmm. without argument, and just in recognition. Like, I'm getting a little out of my element right now. Right. Uh, you seem to know what you're doing. I'm just going to let you take the lead. You know, like, that is, I think, a, a rare feature. You yeah. know, you feel, like, I feel like, you know, so often we're like, who's in charge? Who's who's setting, who's in charge now? And are we going to change roles? Like, what what's happening? There's always an argument over power. Right. And they don't have that. Um, except with the exception of their very first fight. And that's less about... You know, them just not liking each other or who's going to be in charge. It's more about just f- need to survive. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just, I like that. I think that, that that moment, those moments where she turns things over to him for him to drive, for him to, you know, go mysteriously kill the bullet farmer. Yeah. Um, and then other moments where he just cedes control to her because she clearly knows what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lack of, what's the word I'm looking for? The lack of ego hubris. Yeah. Yeah. You know, both words I think work, um, in when trying to survive and just be, you know, and work together with another survivor. Yeah. Is pretty impressive. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I just thought, uh, Furiosa is an, is an amazing character. And I love that Charlize Theron actually shaved her head yeah. for that for that role. Probably, yeah, probably made it a little more comfortable in the desert, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> for one. All right. So uh, then uh, any honorable mention things? Oh, my gosh. There's so many honorable yeah. mentions. I just think they're the um, sandstorm. Yeah, that's a great. That's that's the that's certainly not a practical effect. No, that one is CGI. Beautiful rendered, um, yeah, digital effect. As they're driving over, like into it, and you Mm -hmm. can just see it there. It's uh, yeah, it's a beautiful effect. And then they drive through it. Um, Just how they filmed the desert mm -hmm. specifically is so cinematically beautiful. Right. I've never cared. I've never wanted to visit a desert, really. <laughs> but, it, but then on IMDb, George Miller talked about how um, he really wanted to set it, this movie apart from other post-apocalyptic movies mm-hmm. by making it look so bright and colorful. Because most of the other ones, it's all very dull and gray and, mm-hmm. you know, depressing. But, right. you know, he wanted to make it as bright and colorful as possible. Right. And I think that also adds, in many ways to me, the harsh of the world that they live in mm-hmm. is because everything's bright you yeah. know and colors are vivid 
and you think about looks hotter. Yes, it does. It looks much hotter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, a, definitely one of my honorable mentions. Definitely the Vuvulani. I've already mm-hmm. talked a little bit about them in terms of the stunts. Yeah. Um, and you know, riding around on motorcycles and kicking ass. Uh, they were pretty cool. Um, gosh, I don't know. I mean, this, this is a movie that I like quite a bit, so it's hard to identify one's, you know, too many specific things. So I, I, oh, I would say Uh the very first action sequence, um, not when he's captured, like not the car chase, but like it's when they've brought, um, Mad Max in. And the war boys are holding him and they're like forcibly shaving him. Right. And he's getting his... Tattooing his vitals Yeah, his, his vital information on the back. And you ask the important question, like how do they know blood type right. in this... It doesn't look like they would have that technology. Right. But somehow the organic mechanic has figured out that he is a universal donor. Mm-hmm. Um, but then he doesn't... He sees them bringing the brand. And that is the moment that he's just like, nope. And that little escape sequence is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, even when he gets to the point where he swings open the door and you realize that this whole time they've been above ground. Mm -hmm. You know, they've been in a... looks subterranean, but they're really like inside a big plateau plateau type of thing. Uh And he, he swings the door out and then he's still trying to escape that he, without any sort of plan... Runs and leaps out, and he uses his chain to hook himself over the big, large, right? Um, you know, like the big hook. Yeah, the big, yeah. like anchor-like hook that's hanging out there mm-hmm. for some apparently important reason. Moving cargo, I guess. That would split that speed for sure. Um, but it's just it's a it's a pretty amazing first fight or first um, action sequence. Yeah. So I like it a lot. Yeah. So a couple things. Um, so there was a time where George Miller was going to make a Justice League movie. Mm-hmm. And they got real far down the line. Like made costumes. Army Hammer was going to be Batman. Um, that one kid from the OC was going to be the Flash. And an actress in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, and a model, an actress from Australia named Megan Gale, was going to be Wonder Woman. And she is in this movie. And I think it is great that he got her and put her in this movie. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, they were so close to making that movie, and then Batman Forever happened, and the studio was, and that sucked <laughs> so hard and did so poorly that the studio pulled the plug pretty much immediately. Which was ridiculous, because I feel like they should have looked at that movie and been like, I don't think this is going to make a lot of money. Yeah. I, I, I mean, know. I feel like that's yeah. their fault. Yes, it is. <laughs> exactly right. Um, but yeah, but knowing that little bit of trivia, when she shows up, uh, mm-hmm. you know, she's like, she's naked on a tower, like Tom right. Hardy, bait. She's bait, that's bait. And when she comes down, anytime you see her, she's just so like statuesque. Oh and yeah. And you can totally see, yeah, yeah. I can see why she was going to be Wonder Woman, you mm-hmm. know, and she doesn't have a lot to do in this movie, but she's still really great. And I'm glad that he put her in this since she right. kind of got robbed of, of that. I love that her name is the Valkyrie. The Valkyrie, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and then we've already kind of touched on it a little bit, but there's like a real practicality of action of uh, by the heroes, mm-hmm. kind of. There's not a lot of things where they do something just for stupid movie reasons, you know? That's true. Like, um, 
like when uh, when Max and Friosa have that first fight, and Max is able to get the gun, you know, and get control of the uh, uh, of the war rig, and he gets in it and he drives off, and then but because it has like a special starting sequence, it doesn't go very far. So they catch back up with him, and um, and Friosa is trying to get him, you know, trying to buy him off isn't the right word, but she's trying to get him to like you know let not. Let us all let let's all go together. Her or whatever. and the wives, yeah. Right. And at first he's like, "Just you." It's like, "No, we all have to go." And you can see a Morton Joe and his people; they're coming. You can see right. them in the distance; they're coming. And he can just see he, without explaining. It, he just looks back and sees them coming, and you can just see it in his mind. He's like, "I'll just wait for them," because <laughs> because they're clearly after her. So we'll, you know, right. I'll just wait, and I'll probably be fine, right? Yeah, and she and you can tell she starts to. You can see her like get more anxious because she sees what he's thinking, even right. though they don't explain it. Right. She's like, you're putting a lot of, you know, you're putting a lot of faith in a really bad guy, you right. know. And he just looks at her and doesn't say anything and just turns, just looks straight ahead. Right. But it's the like you're so much better. <laughs> like, like yeah, you're in worse shit. You're in worse trouble than I am. You know. So I'm not terribly worried. You know. But the thing that gets him because he has this weird metal face guard. Right. Right. Because he's a feral. Right. Is that she just goes, do you want to get that thing off your face? Yeah. You know? And that's the thing. And he slowly, you know, lets her in. You mm. know? So just that kind of very practical way of thinking of, you know, trying to get what you want. Right. What is it that I really want? The thing with the rifle, you mm-hmm. know, he hands it over because she's clearly the better shot. And then when he goes and actually blinds the bullet farmer. And then he, and like the truck is stuck. And they're working to get the truck unstuck. And he's like, uh, and then he goes off in the darkness. And the, you know. And this is really what lets you know this is because dumber movies when she goes, you know, well, what if you do if you don't? What do we do if you don't come back? There would have been some sort of heroic, you know, right. blah blah blah. And he's like, well, just keep going because clearly I'm dead. What do you what are you asking that question for? You right. know, and it's just those sorts of things are very, you know, smart, practical way of thinking that in this world absolutely makes sense, and I love it every time I see it. I will have to say, so every time she says that line where she's like, well, what do we do if you don't come back? Mm-hmm. My mind immediately switches to the movie Serenity where oh, um, Malcolm Reynolds, <laughs> Malcolm Reynolds right. is yeah. like, you take this ship and you come no, back and rescue me. me, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like the two op- ex- like exact opposites of oh, it, right? right? Like, <laughs> and ultimately the, their final plan is the most... I mean, this movie is literally... They drive out into the desert a ways and then turn around and come back. Right. But the re- and that sounds stupid, but the reasoning that they end up doing that make makes, makes sense. sense. Makes sense. Yeah. Although this time I did have the thought, like, Immortan Joe is a is a clearly an evil character. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no question about that. Right. But you know, they have the like rede- redeeming moments where they drive the new you know in morton joe's vehicle onto the the big you know hoist that's going to get hauled up and they bring all of the you know as many of the people as they can on there with them and and go up victoriously and the the women who have been uh milked for lack of a better word it's so gross um they stagger out and they release the water right? right and then i have this moment where i'm like so how long is that going to last before that society falls apart? Before they realize that there's not unlimited right. food and right. unlimited water. Mm-hmm. 
and that this uh, runs on gasoline, right? Mm. How are they... What kind of society... What happens next? Right. Was my my question. Like, how long till they move to some sort of dictatorship as well or you know right to to survive Mm -hmm. i don't you know it's just an interesting this time it was an interesting kind of component where i was like huh i just wonder yeah i don't know i mean if they ever made a sequel yeah but i think when everything i've read about any potential sequel Mm -hmm. it's always about just a different adventure there's no going back and that's fine right But the thing, and that's that's probably like if we're going to talk about things we don't like about this movie, that they didn't like jump on a sequel right away. Because now it's probably not going to happen. At least not with, I mean, George Miller is not a young man. I can't imagine he's going to be capable to spend a year in the, in the desert again to make another one of these. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know that people would have thought he could have done it again now since he did, he's done all of the Mad Maxes, right? Yeah. The yeah. first Mad Max came out. Or 81? Sure. Very early 80s or late 70s. The Road Warrior. Right. Also in the 80s. So if he's an adult. Thunderdome. Um, although he quote unquote directed Thunderdome. It's pretty well known that he left halfway through. Because he wasn't happy <laughs> with the studio. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm just like, so he's 84 now? Yeah. 84? And when he made, but when he made this movie, he was 80. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. He still has at least one more in him. Yeah. Also, a Morton Joe, that actor was the uh, the villain in the first Mad Max movie. So I think that's kind of neat. Nuh-uh. Really? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Toe Cutter Joe was his character's name in the first Mad Max. That sounds terrible. Yeah. Are you Very serious? Weird. Yeah, I'm dead serious. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. I cool. believe he was also supposed to be in the Justice League movie. I think he was going to be Martian Manhunter. Ooh. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. All right. So I guess, uh, are there any things that you don't like about this movie? Um, hmm. I'll um, let you go first while I think, because you get to go first. Well, it's it's tough. I mean, um, is it so well done? Watching it in this time for the who knows how many, how many times, you know, I've seen it. So the fight between um, Max and Furiosa, which is very well choreographed, really fun, thought out Mm -hmm. fight. But I could really tell this time watching it that they clearly sped up the film to make it look that much more intense. That's not, you can really. uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can really. I guess I never. And I don't like that. I don't, oh. Yeah, that looks like it's clearly it just looks so unnatural. Oh, they, then when they when they speed up a film, they sped up the film to make their movements look faster, and it just looks unnatural. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, I guess because they do that in so many of the action sequences, like in that first runaway sequence where he's trying to escape. Yeah. You know, they mm-hmm. do the same thing there. Uh-huh. Um. So. But I think it's just because that's also filmed kind of in the dark. And there's a lot more bodies. I think it's not nearly as noticeable when it's a mostly two one-on-one fight in the daylight. It <laughs> really seems noticeable to me. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. No, I don't know. I mean, it's there are parts of this movie that are a little cheesy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, 
but I don't know that it's not it's stuff where I can like articulate. Oh, I just yeah, it's well, I really don't like it. Like it's stuff yeah. here and there where I roll my eyes at, and I'm like, oh my goodness. Right. Um. Like some of the names. The uh, names are hilarious. That like, was going to be one of my honorable mentions. Well, the names. Like the big, the 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 one son of uh, Morton Joe, the Rick, really big, tall, muscular guy. Rictus he, erectus. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's just. I don't even know. That's so gross. It is. Um, but yeah, no, like all of their names, like the five wives, their uh, names are hilarious. Toast the knowing. <laughs> The Splendid Angharad. Uh-huh. Capable. <laughs> Which one is Capable? Capable is the redhead. Okay. Yeah. The Dag. She's the crazy one, the blonde with the long white blonde hair. Oh, right. And Cheeto the Fragile. Cheeto the Fragile? Right. So, like... Which one is Zoe Kravitz? She is uh, Toast the Knowing. Okay. But, like, they're all... They're all weird. Like the organic mechanic, the doof warrior. The doof is the bass player. Uh, no. Uh, he, the coma. He, like he's called coma doof warrior, I think. Oh. Um, I just, I've seen t-shirts with him on it that just, that say doof. Right. So that's why I say that. So, um, but yeah, like their names are crazy. Like uh, the Valkyrie Keeper of the Seeds is the only name. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think it's interesting that they don't ever get, like no at no point in time do they give a full name of anybody like right. in the movie you only see them in the credits um, yep. Corpus Colossus you know it's just they're so interesting the names yeah. I yeah. like them and Furiosa I mean imper- I mean she's named in the credits as Imperator Furiosa which Imperator they make it sound like it's a rank mm-hmm. so who knows what her full name is but of course Max Rokotansky right phenomenal phenomenal <laughs> that's like name. my favorite name ever Rokotansky mm. so I like the names uh, let's see. So we were talking about, oh, sorry. We were talking about things we didn't, didn't like. like. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. It's very little. I mean, I can understand why people might not like the lack of explanation as to why things are the way they are. Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of weird, just jargon that would, that exist, that they have decided this is how this world talks. Right. And they don't explain what some of that slang means. It's just kind of up to you to figure it out. Right. And I can see why people might be bothered by that. But it's, I don't know. Mm-hmm. It just like, adds to the atmosphere and is right i mean i i don't necessarily think this is not a movie that's like a universally loved movie you could sit in this like if it's essentially a a fight car chase movie Mm -hmm. for two hours and if that's not your thing it's not your thing right right um so so i can see absolutely see why you know that people would would not connect to this movie but I don't see a lot of things about it that are poorly made. No. I guess no. is the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had a couple of companion comics yeah. that they released to kind of mm-hmm. provide some backstory. of the backstory, yeah. which um, was interesting. I think I only ever read one of them, and it was mm-hmm. really about how Furiosa and the wives concocted their plan to leave. Yeah. And that's that's the only one I actually 
I actually read. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I had a thought, but I lost it. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't. I don't have really anything negative to say about about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. I wish they had made um, a sequel sooner. Yeah. Um, I wish that they had talked about doing one that was just about Furiosa. Mm-hmm. That would have been pretty cool. Yeah. You know, the adventures of Furiosa. Yeah. Uh, it's probably not a cool enough name. <laughs> oh, as far as like the act. Oh, you mean actual the movie. movie title? The movie yeah. title would probably yeah. not be the adventures of Furiosa. Right. And how would you make, I mean, and someone would want to try to link it to Mad Max in the title. Right. So it would be something really stupid, like right. Mad Max Presents oh. Furiosa Furious or Road or some something. Oh, I could see it called The Imperator, a Mad Max story or something like that. <laughs> a Mad Max story. Except not with Mad Max, which would make those little man's rights activists even more upset. Right, right. Well, they're already upset about Captain Marvel, apparently, so. <sighs> Don't even get me started on that. That yeah. one just made me roll my eyes and uh, scroll away. Yeah. Scroll away. That's right. All right. Well, I think when we're done for uh, Mad Max Fury Road. I think so. And, uh, oh, but I do want to, recommendations. Mm-hmm. I think uh, for sure we got to recommend um, the Umbrella Academy. Oh my goodness! Just finished yeah, that. the series now streaming on Netflix. Mm-hmm. A really just really gloriously weird TV series based on what I presume is a really weird comic book series mm-hmm. uh, written by Gerard Way, who was the lead singer for My, my Chemical, Chemical Romance. Romance. Yep. Uh, yeah, we just finished streaming it this weekend. It's one of the best. It's series on Netflix, I feel. It's really well made and really good. Yeah. And I hope they, they if they don't do a ne- another season, we really considering how it ends, we be really pissed. Yeah. I will say, though, that that was probably one of my favorite endings mm-hmm. to, a, like, a season. Yeah. So I appreciated it because oftentimes I can see the endings at, you know, like so far away in advance and this Mm -hmm. one i didn't quite see yeah so i thought that was good yeah um and i like the fact that they didn't necessarily wrap it up in a nice little bow right to prepare you for what second season would bring right they really gave you a launch pad to do anything yeah for sure yeah so yeah umbrella academy is great yeah not for kids no, it is definitely not for little Make kids. Make sure that that's in there, not yeah. for kids. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I kind of feel like that's a recommendation from both of us. We both really liked that. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, we're still a couple weeks away from Captain Marvel. I know, so exciting. I uh, don't know that there's anything coming out this week in the theater. Yeah, I don't Let's know. See. We haven't really so talked about it. might it. be another, uh, you know, pull one out of the the library or find something maybe watch we might have to watch one of the um oscar winners that we hadn't seen that yeah i suppose just that might be something might be something or maybe i will introduce you to the 80s science fiction fantasy masterpiece known as Kroll. uh (laughs) 
<laughs> so you know how I just talked about the idea of us watching a bad movie mm-hmm. and having to review it? Mm-hmm. That that might be the first one. Oh, I'm sure it's. I'm, but I loved it when I was nine. Oh, oh no. See, this is like one of the ideas that I had where we like try to watch a movie where the other one, one of us has seen it, but the other one has not. <clears throat> That's true. That would be kind of fun. So anyway, a lot of ideas thrown around. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what we end up coming up with. For we'll see week. where we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for listening to this episode of the Cold Beer and Cool Movie Podcast. Uh, find us, you can stream us on SoundCloud. We're on iTunes, other uh, podcasting apps where you can subscribe and download. Uh, give us a rating on any of those places or email us at ddkpodcasting at gmail.com and tell us what you thought of Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. Was the road really all that furious? Yes. Probably was. Or tell us what you thought about any other movies. Uh, recommend a beer for us to try in the future. Uh, tell us what you thought of any beers we tried or or anything. <laughs> all right. So, just say hi. And, yeah, or just say hello. And until next week. Go see a movie. And thanks, everyone.